Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Man, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, I just realized I don't think I knew any of the lyrics to Kumbaya except Kumbaya until this moment. <laughs> I didn't know there was any other lyrics. <laughs> Learned something new every day. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Murph, for putting that together. That was awesome. Uh, has a, yeah, give her a big hand. Tons of talented people at our church. We don't do that stuff just because, because we have talented people that write it and act it. Uh, it's a lot of fun to give people a chance to use those talents. If you're new to our church, we don't always have random stuff like that, but we do try to have lots of fun together. So um, thank you so much for being here. If I've never met you before, love to shake your hand out there in the lobby afterwards. Uh, say thanks for coming. Uh, those of you who are watching online or here today who were new last week, thank you for coming. Uh, thanks for being a part of our church. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who volunteered uh, last week to make two services happen. We did two services last week and uh, it was super busy. I would say we had uh, about the amount of people that I thought um, but what I didn't expect is it was evenly split between the two services, almost exactly the same, first service and second service, uh, which was awesome because it gave us a chance to pray for, speak to uh, more people than we would have otherwise. That was totally the goal. We didn't get the experience of the giant crowded room uh, because we didn't do one service, but if we had done one, uh, like I keep saying, you all would have been mad at me because you would not have had any place to sit or park or had enough eggs or enough coffee or donuts or any of that stuff. So... Uh, thank you for volunteering, those of you who helped in kids in the parking lot, the Easter egg hunt. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, it was really, really good. If you're new to our church, I uh, uh, just want you to know we've been praying for you. Uh, we believe that you're here for a reason. Even if you're not new, we believe you're here for a reason today. Uh, today we're starting in on this last part of our series that's centered around Easter Sunday. You've seen it on our website, on Facebook, on the, uh, the sign out there. Uh, the greatest story ever told. Greatest story ever told. Our world, our individual hearts, they are captured by stories. We've mentioned a lot of stories over the past few weeks, couple of weeks, a few weeks counting today. We mentioned Hunt for Red October a few weeks ago. I talked about Star managed to sneak Star Wars in on, uh, on Easter Sunday. It was really interesting, actually. So I mentioned uh, the, uh, the iconic line from The Mandalorian, this is the way, both services. First service, mostly the older crowd not many people responded, I have to be honest. Second service, I said that. A lot of people knew what I was getting at. Uh, I mentioned my first week, Dr. Seuss, a story my son loved when he was little tiny. Probably doesn't even remember. I mentioned the movie Ocean's Eleven. We've been talking about stories. Just about as soon as we were born, we all love stories. We talked two weeks ago about the great plot twist of the story of the New Testament. That being that the people that in Jerusalem, they expected a king. And Jesus did come as a king, but he didn't come looking to fight the physical battle they wanted him to. He didn't come looking for political power like they hoped. Instead, Jesus came with peace and surrender, and he rode into town on a borrowed donkey. And last week on Easter Sunday, we talked about there's much how there's much more to the story of Jesus than just the parts we talk about Easter and Christmas. Those are the main parts, but there's much more that goes into it. And the bigger impl implication of the story of Jesus is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, our lives are irrevocably different. Because Jesus died, 
rose to life and he is not in that grave, our lives can be and they are different. We talked specifically last week about how because of Jesus, the things that used to hold us back, they're not just held at bay anymore, but fear and death itself, all of who we used to be even, those things are now gone. They don't exist anymore. The old has gone. The new has come, the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So today we're asking the question, now what? Now what? And this is a question that is inevitably asked with any great story, especially now because people are always looking to make money, get as many people to listen or watch as possible. Whenever a story is good, or maybe if the story is not good, but lots of people watch it so it's considered successful, everyone starts asking the question, well, now what? What are you going to do next? You wrote a great story. You made a great story. Now what? People start investigating always now at the end of a good movie or a good book. They always just want to see, did they leave it open for a sequel? Did they keep the main characters alive so we can have another book or movie? Sometimes the creator never intended for there to be a sequel. But it was so successful, now they have to. The studio or the publisher makes them. Uh, I just show of hands, anyone read this recent book called uh, Ready Player One? A couple people, a few people, right? Uh, now, Ready Player One, the reason many of you haven't read it or heard of it, you might have heard of the movie, it's because it's awesome and unique and it's full of these like pop culture references from the 80s and 90s. I was born in 1979, grew up in the 80s and 90s, so I loved it. Tons of like music and video game references from then. It's aimed at this really specific niche demographic, but it ended up being wildly successful. It's pretty well written. So, of course, what did they do? They made a movie about it. If you haven't seen it, just don't watch it. It's forgettable. There was a sequel book, and yes, predictably, it's called uh, Ready Player Two. In this case, I would just advise you stick with the first one. Pretend the second one does not exist. Your life will be better if you just don't read it at all. If books aren't your thing, the same principle applies in, uh, in TV shows and movies, right? I've mentioned before the TV show Lost. That's one if you're from my... Uh, generation was really popular in the early 2000s. Great example of this show where they probably should have just left it after two seasons. They had this great story, and then, to be honest with you, I don't even remember what happened after the end of season two or so. Once again, if you're going to go back and watch it, and you're like, that sounds awesome. It's plane crash, stranded on an island. If you're going to go watch it, watch the first two seasons, pretend it ended right there. You'll be much happier. But there are cases that also are on the opposite side. Just recently, this sequel came out to a movie that was released in the 80s. Talking, of course, about Top Gun. Yeah. I remember so vividly seeing the original when I was a kid. I've always loved fighter planes, um, still love jets. And whenever I, when I'm in my house, we kind of live close to where the airport flight line is. And I can hear when something flies over that's not a commercial airliner. So I'll run outside, see what it is. Um, I remember so vividly seeing the original when I was a kid and hoping they would make a sequel, right? And assuming it would never happen, and then it did, however long, you know, 35 years later. And I, my wife and I went to see the sequel the day it came out. I don't know the last time I was at a movie uh, the day it came out until that one. Uh, it's one of the few movies I've ever been to where I specifically did not get anything to drink on the way in because I didn't want to miss a second. I knew it was long, and I did not want to have to leave and go to the bathroom, so I did not drink any soda. 
That was one it was worth making. If you liked the original, man, you should see the second one. Now, why does all this matter in church this morning? Well, as we have said the past two weeks, you and I, we get to be a part of the greatest story ever told. The story of heaven coming to earth each day. Heaven has come to earth and you and I are a part of it. And I'd like to take it a step further this morning and say that the story of God being present in our life, it never stops being written. The story of God being present in your life and my life, it will never stop being written until Jesus comes back. The story continues to move forward. The story continues to make more turns than we ever could have imagined. But today there are some of you in here and listening online and you are asking the question, well, yeah, it was awesome last week, but now what? The stone was rolled away, Jesus rose, but now I live in this world, and now what? Maybe last week you made a decision, even if you didn't raise a hand, and it was just quietly bef- between you and God while we took communion and rededicated your life to him, and it meant something to you because you knew God was speaking. You decided in that moment, hey, I'm going to begin serving the Lord with my whole heart for the first time, or, or I'm going to do it again. And, man, it felt good. You knew the Lord was cleansing your sins in that moment. A lot of times I, I pray for people when they accept Jesus or they rededicate their life to rededicate their life to him, that their coming week would be the best one they've ever had. That however it is, that it would be the best week they've ever had. But the thing is, maybe that was you and you went back to work or school or whatever, and it was harder than you expected it to be. Maybe there was even some doubt about what God said or what it was you experienced. Maybe Jesus really cleansed your heart and you walked away last week feeling renewed. But you got back to work and you thought, this is worse than I remember. I forgot that that lady in the cubicle next door microwaves fish for lunch five days a week and it makes the office smell so bad. Well, in the days and the weeks and the months after Jesus' death and resurrection, the people who had known him on earth, they began to encounter him right in the middle of asking that question. Well, now what do I do? This morning, we're going to try to stay a little more zoomed out than we sometimes get and take a look at a couple of those encounters in the New Testament. And we'll do two more next week. I intended it to only be one week, but couldn't fit it all in. Between this week and next, four different situations that ring very true for us in our lives if we're willing to apply them. I'm so grateful, friends, and I know you probably are too, that when we ask God, well, now what? Jesus, the Son of God, is with us. And all of these things we talk about this week and next week, I would encourage you, look for yourself in the stories. Look for the parts that you identify. Because when you ask now what, Jesus is with us. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus is with us, number one, in our sorrow. Yeah, if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can turn them to John chapter 20. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. I believe it's so important because we can say this thing that's not true that we accept Jesus or because Jesus is alive that everything's perfect and it's sunshine and puppies and kittens. But I want to tell you, I'm not the first to tell you, but just maybe remind you, knowing Jesus does not eliminate sorrow on the earth. I wish that it did. And one day in heaven, sorrow will be no more. But on earth, it exists. And for now, many of us deal with it each day. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is with us in our sorrow. 
We're actually going to pick up even where we were reading, somewhat where we left off last week. We're going to talk for a moment about this woman named Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene, there's only a few things that we know for sure about her. We know this, Mary was an extremely common name in the New Testament times. So it can be confusing when you see Mary in the New Testament, which person they're referring to. Could be Mary, mother of Jesus, could be Mary uh, Magdalene, could be Mary, sister of Martha, several Marys. We know that Mary Magdalene was a follower of Jesus. We know that she was present at the crucifixion and even the events surrounding it. A lot of people will say she, uh, they'll say it as biblical fact that she was the woman caught in adultery, and there's like no biblical proof for that at all. But it's cool to put it together like that. But we do know why Mary Magdalene became a follower of Jesus. We know she was a follower. She knew he was present at the crucifixion. And we know why she became a follower of Jesus. You don't have to turn there. I have it on the screen. Luke chapter 8 tells us about how Jesus, when he's preaching and teaching, he's walking from village to village and town to town. It even gives us a description of who was with him. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. That's just a few words. But there in that one simple sentence is the reason that Mary Magdalene had become a follower of Jesus. For he had, at some point, delivered her from seven evil spirits. Now, we know from other descriptions in the New Testament how awful an affliction that would have been. If you've been around any of that stuff, even in modern times, um, it's awful. In the New Testament, it talks about uh, people throwing themselves into the fire and living naked in caves and all sorts of crazy things when they're possessed by evil spirits. Jesus delivered her from seven of them. And when Mary Magdalene had been delivered, it would have changed her life in the blink of an eye. She became a new person. The old had gone and the new had come. And just like many of you, Mary Magdalene could point to a moment that she became a Christ follower. I follow that man because here is where and when he delivered me. A specific moment in time when she became a follower of Jesus. But then we get to Easter Sunday. And I found Mary Magdalene, she was at the tomb weeping. She had gone to the tomb and she had found it empty. Found the stone rolled away. And she, remember we talked about last week, she had gone to tell the disciples, Peter and John, they run to the tomb. They look in there. Peter looks in there, and then they run back, and they're gone, and they leave her there. So there, Mary Magdalene stands alone at the tomb in the morning, knowing for sure that this man, Jesus, had changed her life. He delivered her from seven demons, irrevocably changed her. But she's struggling to make sense of the world in which she now finds herself. One in which the Savior she devoted her life to was no longer there. She'd, she'd uh, woken up every day and she'd followed him. Now he was gone. We pick up the story, John chapter 20, uh, verses 11 uh, through 18. It says this. I'm reading to you the NIV this morning. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. 
At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told him that, she, that he had said these things to her. Now, I've got to understand, if you read the New Testament, Mary, uh, she was among many people who had heard Jesus say that he would die and be resurrected. But just like the 12 disciples, she did not understand what it meant. She heard him say that, but she did not understand what it meant. So she was alone at the tomb. She's weeping because the man who had delivered her had been killed before her eyes. But she's also weeping likely because she was concerned about Jesus' body being treated with disrespect. If this man who had changed her life had died, she wanted to make sure his body was respected. Uh, Earlier in verse 2, she had told the disciples when they first come, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. She wanted to respect the customs, take care of his body. But in her sadness, she brings herself to look inside the tomb. She brings herself to do the very thing that she does not want to do, but she knows she has to do. She doesn't see anybody except the two angels sitting in there. And by this time, Mary Magdalene is having one of those days like all of you have had that I know I have had. She is having a day where everything seems like it is backwards. It's not going how she thought it was going to when she woke up. Left is right. Right is left, up is down, down is up. In that moment, all we know that the angel said to her is to ask her that question, woman, why are you crying? It's interesting if you go read about it. Some think that they may have motioned to her to turn around because Jesus was standing behind her to see who she thought was the gardener, right? And we will see in other encounters uh, to, uh, next week that she is not the only one who didn't recognize Jesus at first. It was really common after the resurrection. She may have thought that when she turned around and saw Jesus there, she may have thought it was the gardener simply because who else would be there early in the morning, on a Sunday morning, in the tomb. But then, Jesus does the thing probably that he had done when he cast out the seven demons. Jesus says her name. He says, Mary. Says her name, just like he has for many of you, maybe like he did last week, just like he has for me. And at that moment, when he says her name, everything changes. The conversations and the teachings and the long walks with the other disciples and the memories of him saying he was died and going to be die, going to die and be resurrected, all of it clicks into place. And when Jesus says Mary's name there, she realizes that before her stands the risen Christ. It's all beginning to make sense. But just because it's starting to make sense doesn't mean that her emotions would not still be swirling, just like yours and mine, every day in this world. Because Mary Magdalene, she was just a regular person. She knew that the disciples were going to have a hard time believing her when she told them. 
She went and told them that the stone had been rolled away, and they ran and saw it and left. She doesn't know what they're thinking. Also, you need to keep in mind that in this time in history, women were not regarded as reliable witnesses. In New Testament Jerusalem, you could not use their testimony in court. She surely knew that, just like every other woman. And it's actually perfect. I love that Jesus chose to reveal himself to Mary Magdalene first. Right, we know there was this real fear on the part of those who crucified Jesus that his disciples would try and steal the body and claim that he was alive. But if the disciples, Jesus' followers, were going to fabricate a story, a woman who had previously been possessed by seven demons would have been their last choice. They would not have picked a woman. They would not have picked a woman with that background. But it was Mary Magdalene that Jesus chose to reveal himself to first. And just as he once found her at her lowest point and delivered her from seven evil spirits, he has found her again. Right there at the mouth of the garden tomb. And in all of that sadness, in that uncertainty, Jesus has met her. This morning, friends, I don't need to sugarcoat it for you. We live in a world that has danger and sadness and sickness. It's all over the place. Now, if you're not careful, I'm sure it happens to you just like it happens to me. Sorrow, deep emotion, it can threaten to overtake us. Yeah, we may know Jesus and we may be forgiven of our sins, but that does not change the fact that we often find ourselves asking, well, now what? Yes, I'm forgiven. When I die, I get to go to heaven. I believe that. But now what? What, Lord, am I supposed to do with all of this? What am I supposed to do when I send my kids to school and I'm terrified of what they're going to hear and see or what might happen to them? It's very important, friends, I believe, to notice the action that Mary took. Because, like we said, when, when Jesus was killed, she didn't know what else to do, where else to go. So she went to the last place that she knew he had been. Now what? Well, I'll go to where I know Jesus was. This is an example that every one of us as believers, friends, we can follow this in our lives. When we feel like we are losing sight of Jesus, we can return to where we first found him. You can return to the scripture that all of a sudden changed your life. We can return to the song that when you heard it, all of a sudden, you know, maybe it was scripture in there and you knew that you knew that God was real. You can return to the church building where God first met you. And we can take the step toward where Jesus was. And what Jesus wants us to know is that in every sorrow, he is with us. And here's the thing, friends. When you go to where Jesus was, he just might surprise you like he did Mary. I don't know what she expected when she went to the tomb that day. I don't think she expected to see him alive. She just knew that was the best place to go. So what do I do, friends, when sorrow threatens to overtake me? What do I do when emotion uh, threatens to cloud my mind? I believe that Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus at the garden tomb, it shows us this. Sadness does not leave the world, but it no longer defines us because Jesus is here. Sadness does not leave, but it does not define you or me anymore because Jesus is here. He's not only in this place, in this room, but he goes with you. For the sinner, if you're here, for the sinner who has fallen far in the sorrow that you have caused, it seems like it can never be undone. I've got news for you. He is with you. For the family, the single parent who's serving Jesus faithfully, but, man, you're struggling to make ends meet. doesn't seem any easier. He's with you. 
for those of you in this place who are fearful about the state of the world, fearful of what you see on the news, what you read, Jesus, the Son of God, the risen Savior, is with you. In every season, friends, Jesus, he is with us in our sorrow, just like he was with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. We also see after the resurrection that Jesus is with us, number two, in our doubts. Jesus is with us in our doubts. If you are someone who would say that you believe in Jesus, but you sometimes struggle with doubt about some or all of it, then I got great news for you. You are in good company. You're not alone. Not just for the majority of people here. Hopefully, everyone in here would be willing to admit to you, yeah, they don't have it all figured out. They don't know everything there is to know about God, about the Bible, about Jesus. If we're honest, we've all doubted in our lives. Whether we doubted God's goodness, whether we doubted his forgiveness, or maybe whether we even doubted his forgiveness. We've all doubted, if we're honest. But you've also got uh, something in common with one of Jesus' closest friends on earth. We're going to skip just uh, one section of verses and we're going to get ready to read uh, John 20, 24 through 29 here in a few moments. And if you're here or you're listening and your now what question has to do with being unsure about everything, Lord, none of this makes sense to me, then this passage we're about to read is for you. Just for some context, what we're about to read happens just right after Mary Magdalene sees Jesus. Jesus appears to some disciples, and then what happens is what we're about to read. Let's look together at these five verses. John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29, says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Man, what a powerful set of verses. I believe we can see from this passage this morning, and I really want you to grasp this, that asking questions does not disqualify us from being a follower of Jesus. Jesus is not afraid of your questions. It does not disqualify you. In this passage, we see that this guy, Thomas, and it mentioned him as one of the 12, one of the 12 disciples, we see that Thomas is having his very own now what moment. Because after everything that Thomas has seen and heard, right, he saw it all. He saw the teachings. He saw the miracles. He saw the trial. He saw the crucifixion. Thomas is there, and he's asking, okay, now what? Yeah, I saw it all. Now what? For us to understand this fully, we have to see this small detail in verse 24. And that is that Jesus had appeared to the disciples once already. Just before this, in verse 19 through 23, he had appeared to the disciples, but Thomas was not there. Why Thomas was not there, we don't know. We find the followers, we'll talk more about this next week, we find the followers of Jesus all over the place after the resurrection. 
We find them at the tomb like Mary Magdalene was. We find them together in a room like the disciples. We find them out fishing like Pastor Chase talked about a while ago. We find them walking on a road like uh, we're going to talk about next week. We don't know if Thomas was at work. We don't know if Thomas went to his son's soccer game. We don't know if Thomas was doing a honeydew project for his wife. We don't know if he was married, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping that I get to ask him one day. Because I think it's really possible that Thomas was doing exactly what I might have been tempted to do. And that is he went away to clear his head. He'd seen all of this, and he said, you know what, I need a minute. I talked for quite a while about this last year after Easter, so I'm not going to uh, go too far into it again today. Another year we will because I really love the story. But regardless, all we need to know is that Thomas wasn't there. The first time Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas was not there. But then all of his friends, his closest buddies, they all come and tell him what has happened. Thomas, we saw him. We saw Jesus. And what does Thomas say? He says, well, I doubt it. You say what you say. I doubt it. I don't know, I was taking this a little different than other people. Because Thomas, like I said, he's seen everything that everyone else has seen. He saw the healings. He saw Jesus walk on the water in the middle of the storm on the Sea of Galilee. He saw dead people raised to life. Thomas saw all of that. But it seems that Thomas could not reconcile what he had witnessed on the hill outside the city with the thought that Jesus could be alive. He could not put those two things together in his mind. He could not blindly believe that someone could return from that savage beating and death that he'd witnessed. Couldn't believe it. Now, I would love to think that my faith in who Jesus was after I'd seen all of that, that it would have allowed me to believe without seeing. I'd love to think that. I can't say for sure. And to be truthful, we kind of romanticize what happened in those verses before that we didn't read. We romanticize uh, by those other disciples whom Jesus had appeared to uh, in the room. But, you know, they did not lock themselves in the room to pray and wait on the Lord. They locked themselves in the room for fear of the same people who crucified Jesus. They were scared. But regardless, Jesus appears and they go tell on Thomas, they go tell Thomas what he has missed out on. And you know that Thomas, just like me or you, he would have been torn. Because how could all ten of his best friends be lying about this? Right? Why would they do that? But then again, he saw Jesus on the cross. And so Thomas thinks of the one thing that he would be convinced by. Okay, if I can see it and I can feel it, then I'll be convinced. And I wonder how much of him believed that it would never happen. He said it so he could put a period on it and be done with it. And I wonder how much of him dared to hope that it would. Only Thomas knows. Can't wait to ask him someday. Here's the beautiful part that I want you to see. If you're a doubter, friends, if it's hard for you, Jesus knew that Thomas doubted and he came again anyway. Jesus knew that he had doubts and he came to find Thomas anyway. We must pause in the story here, friends. We just have to say, Jesus is not unaware of our struggles. If you're fighting it, if every day is a battle, Jesus knows about it. He even knows about our doubts, but it will not stop him from answering us all the same. You know, sometimes in our lives, I know I do this, uh, we think we hold this opinion that can never be changed. 
We think we are convinced of stuff that can never be changed. And Thomas, he requested something that if Jesus was not truly alive, it would not have been possible, right? He asked to see Jesus alive, and he asked to see the scars and touch him. That would not have been possible if Jesus was not alive. Also, Jesus, he would not have known of Thomas's statement unless he had been raised from the dead. A dead man would not have been able to hear what Thomas said. Thomas, he was making a big ask. Thomas was, was making the biggest ask he could possibly come up with. And once more, the disciples gathered together. Who knows their motivation this time? But once more, the disciples, they gathered together. And if Thomas had turned them down the first time for some reason, he doesn't dare do it again. He's like, well, man, I missed out last time. It sounds like, supposedly. So fine, guys. Let's go. Sure. And this is where I believe we see the heart of Thomas. This is why I actually don't call him Doubting Thomas. Because Jesus offers to let Thomas touch the scars just as he's requested, right? We, we just read it. Jesus offers to let Thomas touch the scars. But you'll notice right here that there's no mention of Thomas doing so. Right? Jesus says, here I am. See him and touch him. But for Thomas, laying eyes on and hearing the voice of the man he'd spent the last three years following, it was enough. He saw the man and heard the voice. That was enough. And you see something else so beautiful about this encounter, about Thomas's now what moment. Is that Jesus knew exactly what Thomas needed to see, and he was ready and willing to deliver it. But he heard the questions, and he was willing to answer. You see, friends, and I believe this is what God wants us to know today, is that what Thomas found is that doubt can often be a conduit to a supernatural answer. Thomas had a life-changing encounter with Jesus because of his doubt. Thomas walked in and he saw the scars and he heard Jesus' voice because of his doubt, because he asked for it. Jesus had done miracles before. Thomas had seen them all. And right here in this moment, he does one for Thomas. And I love that Jesus does not condemn Thomas, but instead welcomed him. Friends, if you're here this morning... And you doubt. Jesus does not condemn you. He welcomes you. And you can see that Thomas here had this very, very real now what moment. You can bow your heads as we uh, get ready to pray here in a moment. Uh, this morning, I don't know every detail of each of your lives. I don't need to. But I do know that if you have accepted Christ at some point, then that last line of verse 29, it describes us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. It doesn't say they're more blessed, but it says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And if you have accepted Christ at some point, whether last week or any other point in your life, you are blessed, Jesus says. But just because you are blessed, it doesn't mean there aren't times when sorrow and emotion and doubt doesn't mean those things don't threaten to overwhelm you. And Jesus wants you to know today that there's nothing to fear. Because in your life, the answer to the question is, the answer to that question, now what, is he's here. And if you're a doubter, he welcomes you. If you are a doubter, Jesus welcomes you. But we must remember is the example that both Mary and Thomas give, right? Mary in her sorrow, she went to where she last knew that Jesus was. 
She didn't know what had happened. She didn't know which way was up, but she knew that she wanted to find Jesus. So she went to the tomb. And if that's you this morning, I would encourage you to go to where you know Jesus is every day. And what the Bible promises that Jesus will answer you in the depths of your heartache. Thomas, in his doubt, he said out loud to his 10 closest friends exactly what it would take for him to believe. And it sounded outrageous. Then he accepted his friend's invitation to be with them. He did all of that on the off off chance that Jesus would come and prove himself. I don't know, but I'm just guessing that when Thomas said what he said, he thought there's no way it was going to happen. But friends, when we're willing to honestly ask the question, say what we need, Jesus will answer us in the depths of our doubt. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. I'm just going to give you a moment to reflect before I ask you one question. So would you just take a moment? Ask Jesus to come in the midst of your sorrow and your doubt this morning. morning friends if you're here and uh what we're talking about this morning um uh, i'm not going to call you out or anything but it, if worry or doubt resonates with you if you identify with mary or thomas um, i just want to pray for you if you identify with worry and doubt this morning those are things uh that you have struggled with or you are struggling with would you just raise your hand in this room so i can pray with you this morning pray over you awesome thank you so much thank you so much Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for honest hearts. Lord, if we're honest, sometimes it's hard to see your goodness and mercy. We read about it in our heads, we know it's true in there, but sometimes it's hard to see. And Lord, for those that are struggling with sorrow today, Lord, I pray that you would give them the joy of your salvation in this moment and feel your presence. Lord, for those, there's doubt in their heart. Lord, I pray you would give them the courage to ask the questions they need to ask. And Lord, I pray that you would answer like only you can answer. Jesus, thank you that your word shows us there's no shame in asking questions. But I pray that you would answer emphatically whatever way each of us needs in this place. I pray as it was for Thomas, Lord, that our questions would be a conduit for a supernatural answer. That you would come through, Lord Jesus. Pray over these people that you would speak uh, and heal in every heart. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks for being honest, those of you who were. And uh, man, just identify with what you see in the Word of God. Hey, we have one more thing to do today. Um, some of you know my sister. Uh, her name is Melissa. Would you guys come up here? My sister and Kent. Are the kids in here or no? They're staying in there? Got it. So my sister, uh, you might not know this, uh, she is a, 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 um, a tough little person. And uh, she has a heart for people that are less fortunate. And uh, fortunately, I'm just a hair taller, just barely, not than her husband. So yeah. You got big shoes on today or what? Get you. Um, anyway, hey, my sister is leaving in two weeks, right? Two weeks. She's going to go serve in Africa on a mercy ship for two months. Um, she's going to leave. Kent, who just went to get the girls, he's going to take care of them for himself 
or by himself uh, for two months. And uh, what we're going to do today is pray over them, right? We've been sent, he, talking about hearing the call of God on our life. Um, we talked this morning about, in men's Sunday school, about the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And uh, once Kent and the girls get back in here, I'm just going to ask you to stretch your hands forward and pray over them. She's going to be out of town next weekend before she goes. I'm going to ask you to uh, join me in praying over them. Not just doing this because it's my sister, but I'm super proud of you. Like, this is an incredible thing that you're going to do. And um, while, you wait, while we wait for Kent, why don't you just tell him about it? Put you on the spot. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, so, yeah, going to the Mercy Ships. It's docked in Senegal, Africa right now. So we're going to be serving Senegal and Gambia. Um, for those of you that don't know what the Mercy Ships is, it's a surgi- surgery ship um, that um, does a lot of, like, cleft palate repair, tumor removal, um, orthopedic surgery. So I'm a dietitian. Um, I work in the pediatric ICU here in town. Um, so I'm going to feed the kids um, after they have surgery, before they have surgery. There's a lot of malnutrition there, as I'm sure you all know. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, and, yeah, my awesome husband staying here to take care of my awesome two kids. So thank you for praying with us this morning and um, for the next two months as I go as well. I'm going to my parents up here. And uh, Amani, would you come? Uh, Amani's familiar with this area. Any of the rest of you that want to come up and lay hands on them? If not, just stretch your hands forward. It's Ainsley's going to take care of you, right? You're going to keep things in line for your dad. You got it? It's cool. Uh, would you stretch your hands forward uh, this morning? Come on up if you want to. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for Kent and Melissa. Lord Jesus, thank you. Uh, thank you for this moment, Lord, for a divine call you've put upon my sister's life. Just pray that you would be with them today. Lord, I pray that uh, you'd go before her. Uh, every single um, uh, worry and thing needs to be taken care of. Lord, I pray you'd make her path straight in this very moment. Uh, Lord Jesus, as her and Kent try to get everything ready for him to be solo for a couple of months, Lord, I pray that you would provide for them in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Uh, that you would give them everything they need, uh, ask for uh, in abundance, over and above what they ask, Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray for your hand of peace and presence to be upon them. Lord, I pray for safety for Melissa as she goes, her and the entire ship, everyone she's involved with. Uh, Jesus, that she would go, would you send your strongest angels. Uh, Lord, I pray that she would be a blessing, that she would bring uh, your grace and your mercy, clear from Boise, Idaho. Lord, that you would uh, honor her for fulfilling the call you've put on her heart. Lord Jesus, would you wrap your loving arms around them, around their whole family, be with Ainsley, Kinsley, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for your presence in this moment. Would you speak and do what you need to do, what only you can do. We pray uh, for your provision in every way, shape, and form that your Holy Spirit would go and guide. Lord Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.